Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. And we also have a, a panelist with us, and this is Stephanie Collada. She's a U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant First Class veteran and founder of Creator of, of Veteran Legislative Voice. And she has been on before but always has a wealth of information and is um, really doing a great job uh, out there. You need to check out her website and to check out you know, the work that she's doing on our behalf and making sure that things are known. Um, our discussion today is going to be on the cost of war. Uh, it's a timely discussion since we have uh, many service members who have left Afghanistan recently and returned home, as well as the people who already were here that are suffering some of the consequences of war and their families. So uh, I am really uh, pleased and honored to have you on, Stephanie. Uh, how are you doing today? Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, myself, I'm a post-9-11 veteran. 9-11 um, yes. happened in my junior year of high school, so oh, yes. I'm that young at least. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of memories going on, re-talking uh, with my old high school um, buddies and other people I served. And so, yeah, it's been one of those days of remembrance. Yeah, well, I was, and, just, I was uh, just a few years uh, older, but uh, <laughs> it <laughs> happened a little bit later in life for me. But I, I remember, you know, being um, in in the towers because I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And I remember being in the, the trade centers and standing with my <laughs> friends from high school and uh, telling them that these towers will be here long after we're gone. That's how I felt because they felt so powerful. I mean, when you were standing in them, you felt like this thing was absolutely immovable. And um, yeah. history has a tendency to make us um, regret our words many times, and uh, particularly in this circumstance. So, uh, yeah, I can uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, feel or empathize with the high school experience. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, completely yeah. understand. Uh, my yeah, yeah. the summer right before we had a uh, big road trip. My parents took us, and we drove right past New York City. My dad is not a fan of that city, um, but okay. <laughs> and I remember seeing the twin towers from '95 and just mm -hmm. looking at all the skyscrapers and just dreaming of finally going there. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting memory to keep going back to whenever I have that. And I actually was able to go to D.C. not a month after 9-11, and we were supposed to go into the Pentagon for a tour, and um, mm -hmm. they had to cancel it. So we had to drive right past uh, the Pentagon and see the wreckage. It was still burning at the time. It was so sad. Wow. Um, but I do want to talk to talk to everybody about the cost of war. Um, yes, so. Yes. Yeah. Brown University, uh, in partnership with many other researchers and scholars, have actually been um, conducting a lot of data research on pretty much since 2010, and most of the research will start 2001 and forward, and this goes into economic uh, numbers and data, human numbers, political numbers, those type of things. Um, 
one of the biggest numbers that have really made it around on the media is that uh, is those involving the military members lost suicide, which is four times larger than those that we lost in Iraq, Afghanistan, and the other countries under the realm of the uh, war on terror. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very sad and disheartening number to take a look at. Um, the other thing I need to point out for anyone that doesn't understand about suicide amongst veterans or military, you don't have to be deployed to these locations to have uh, valid mental health conditions and suicidal ideations to even experience that. You still have those issues because due to any trauma or bad experience you have in your life. I wanted to point that number out there and also let you guys know if you guys if anyone's having suicidal ideations, please contact the Veterans Crisis Line by the by phone, which is 1-800-273-8255, or you can text 838-255 if you're not comfortable speaking over the phone. I myself have used the Veterans Crisis Line um, for myself and others because you can also call for a friend, that another veteran that oh, you are okay. worried about, and they will help you out with that. Oh, really? That's a, that's a good thing to know. So, yes, so, they will. So every veteran should have this on their phone. I should have this on my phone, right? As yes. A, a speed I, I, <laughs> the great thing about the Veterans Crisis Line, um, which was also created, I believe, in 2007, based off an act that was passed in Congress, um, and what they do is that if you are completely worried about the veteran that you are calling about, and you can't contact them, and they do have the suicidal isolations, and you can't locate them, they will direct you to the local police, and the local police will also step in and help, and they'll do all the steps. And when I went through that process, they took it seriously. They um, were very careful about the situation. I mean, I had a really great experience with the local police that helped me out with this. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Okay. So we can move on to the numbers. Um, And for the financial costs, just FYI, of the U.S. on post-9-11 war spending is $8 trillion. Wait a minute. Did you say $8 trillion with a T? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And these costs are estimated from fiscal year 2001 to fiscal year 2022 because of the uh, National Defense Authorization Act uh, covers the monies to 2022 and these costs include just running the operations overseas the estimated interest on borrowing for the cost that to run these operations increases to the dod base budget to further support these operations Um, and these would include uh, trainings uh, you know for field trainings for uh, units going to the national training center this also includes schools that they may need to go to that's required for the deployment. And then also this includes post 9-11 veterans medical and disability care mm-hmm. through FY22. Um, and then lastly, Homeland Security Prevention and Response to Terrorism, which is, you know, the TSA and other entities that falls up under that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. That's a lot of big numbers for you guys. Um, and so it's a big thing to keep in mind on, especially I like to focus on the veterans' medical and disability care, because mm-hmm. that is really up to how the care is dictated, how 
soldiers or service members are treated while they're in the service. And, of course, this is pretty big for anyone that is going through suicidal isolations or any mental health conditions, and including toxic exposures to the Middle East, which I've talked about before in the previous previous, uh, radio show. So um, there's a couple of bills out there that we can be mindful for. And um, one of them that I'm really watching is it's Senate Bill 1296 and HR, excuse me, HR is for House Representative Bill 2778. These are companion bills that are run at the same time, so they can go through the, both the House and the Senate at the same time, so you don't have to wait for one or the other to act on it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the Daniel Harvey Jr. and Adam Lamport, Lambert Improving Service Member Transition to Reduce Veteran Suicide Act. Long title, but it basically means it, uh, it's a big um, bump in transition assistance for members of the armed forces when they are being uh, transitioned into veterans from active service. I used to work for a Army Reserve Battalion that was located on Fort Lewis, and a very oh. large number of our new uh, soldiers coming in were active duty because they lived right there. Yes, and. Yeah. So very often during my own work time or even I volunteer on my after hours just to help these guys with their um, VA disability, going in for the treatment. Um, this will also help with information out there because not many people know about the intricacies of the VA hospital. The VA hospital I used to go to in American Lake by Fort Lewis has mm-hmm. their own individual uh, mental health outpatient clinic where you can walk in. So it's an urgent care clinic that you can walk in for mental health, and it's not where the ER or the other urgent cares are. It's very private. It's in another building, and you can go there, get seen immediately, um, speak to a psychiatrist, get scheduled for more follow-up appointments, and even get assigned medications right there. Yeah, you know, I served in a combat zone in Mosul, Iraq, and, um, you know, we had a lot of... um, you know, incoming fire and things like that. Uh, but I served with the second ID out of um, Fort Lewis. And so mm-hmm. I just have to personally thank you, you know, for um, helping out in that situation because that, that right now what's going on is just tragic. Um, and uh, I know a lot of veterans who uh, suffered the consequences of this. I knew a few veterans who, you know, personally who I, I saw overseas that committed suicide when they came back. Um, and you know different you know different states, but um, this is just um, uh, you know such a such a need for this, and I hope that those bills are successful. Right. Um, there's another bill that that's going through the process, um, and it's the uh, the Brandon Act. Um, mm-hmm. The parents of Brandon Casarda mm-hmm. has been pushing for a bill to for current service members so that they can use um, basically like a safe code, safe word to basically initiate the immediate referral process into mental health. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that way it's basically a little protection for those that are afraid to go through mental health treatment and how and because of any stigma that may come in from either your leadership, your peers, what have you. Um, and this Brandon Act is um, it's Senate Bill 2088 uh, and H.R. 3942. 
And I believe this bill would be really great and it's another step into putting in more protections for those service members that, you know, they need they need that treatment and any outside influence to make the situation worse can really magnify any issues there. So this this is the start for good protections for current service members. Uh, I wish they had that when I was coming back when I first tour uh, from Iraq when I came back. Uh, with a combat infantry unit, and uh, we went back to um, into Texas, you know, to uh, uh, and you know to be reprocessed, or, you know, brought back in. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, there was a, a, a sergeant who was there, like a section sergeant, who came in and said, "Oh, um, you know, we, and we're about thirty three hundred people in the room, just packed together, right?" <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and he said, "Does anyone here is uh, have a mental health problem? Is anyone here crazy? Raise your hand." And that was our mental health screening. <laughs> oh, my God. And you had, okay. you had maybe three people just to raise their hand because they said, what the heck, I'm putting my hand up. And uh, right. they were sitting there with their, you know, uh, their command structure and, you know, people who were there, you know, who had been serving in combat with them. And for them to, you know, admit something like that, I thought it was really cruel. And uh, mm-hmm. and I said, well, if you do that, you'll be here for two months, you know, because you have to be processed. And, and everyone was like, let me get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, yeah. That was, many many issues get lost just because they don't want to stay. They want to get out of there as soon as possible. I've been through that because I'm army reservist myself. Going yeah. through that uh, demo process is really hard. Yes. Um, yes. One of the things mm-hmm. when I went through and I came back, we had a suicide prevention, you know, class or briefing, and it was one, actually a really cool thing. It was, um, you know, those books of choose your own adventure. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. So this was um, a uh, program that they put up on the projector and everything, and we ch- and it was about service members that were going through mental health issues and uh, mm-hmm. the suicide prevention. So you would actually, as a group, we would choose the different, you know, options of what this person should be doing. And it was really awesome. And then the other thing that they did was that they passed out these flyers and had all the symptoms of suicidal ideations without actually having suicidal ideations, basically the pre-steps to it, uh, um, pre-symptoms. And I went through and I ticked every box except for suicidal ideations. And so I circled Mm -hmm. those, slid it over to one of my supervisors because Mm -hmm. I trusted him. I had known him for years and showed that to him. Mm-hmm. He then, of course, got me referred over to the mental health, and I was able to keep going because I was uh, deployed stateside yes. at Charleston. And so I was able to keep up with appointments, but nobody knew I was going there. Everybody else knew that I was going to dental. Ah, right. Yes, it's a stigma <laughs> that we have to get, got, got to get rid of this stigma. Yeah. Right. And I and after that, years after that, I still I just up front and tell everybody, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm diagnosed with. I'm taking, I'm going through treatment because I was actually a security clearance manager and there was a huge stigma that you would lose your security clearance if you get treated, get diagnosed, or receive medications for mental health conditions. And I found out that less than 1% of all people that go through the process for security clearances actually lose their security clearance due to mental health issues. Yeah. Well. So those type of numbers just want to have that out there for everybody. 
so that they know that please seek help. Um, there is another thing that is going through uh, the Army right now is the base commander for Fort Riley. Now, Fort Riley has not been in um, the best light of issues, especially with suicide or any other issues, sexual harassment and assault. But the new commander had um, put together a program to require that every single soldier on that base get seen at least once for a mental health consultation. Hmm. And yes, <laughs> um, it started last December. It is uh, through the process. They are a little bit about halfway through on getting everybody through, which is understandable because when you make that huge requirement, you're going to be flooded with a lot of people that needs to be seen. So that's pretty understandable. And what he's doing is that he's trying to remove the stigma of, you know, mental health treatment and how it looks like for people. Um, back to Brandon Casarda, his he committed suicide because of the toxic, excuse me, he died by suicide because of the toxic environment in his workplace. And his parents actually were able to uh, request a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, for their command climate surveys. They found the same year after Brandon's death that almost 60% of the of the sailors there believed that they would be given, uh, they'll have a negative impact on their career if they went in for mental health treatment. Almost oh. 60%. Yes. So um, that type of stuff needs to be out there to protect um, our service members, to tell everybody that, you know, it's normal to get um, mental health treatment. One in three people in their lifetime is going to be diagnosed and get treated for a mental health condition. Yes, yes. Yeah, one in three. Hmm. Wow. And, you know, you you had one statistic that you were mentioned before, but I wasn't aware this is like over, you know, 800 or 929,000 people have died in the post 9-11 wars due to direct uh, war and violence. Yes. Yes. And that includes civilians. That includes um, NGOs, the uh, non-governmental organizers and helpers, humanitarian, uh, cannot pronounce that, excuse me, but, um, Mm -hmm. and, Actually, journalists and media workers, 680 mm. estimated journalists and media workers were killed in the um, during the war on terror. I have no idea. <laughs> really? Yeah. So have I. U.S. contractors, they had, um, there's an estimated loss of 8,189 due to the war on terror, which is mind-boggling for me because I've known several service members that have deployed over there, came back, became contractors, and went back. And I haven't known very many that have gone, that actually lost their lives this way, but I do feel sorry for the, their families, their friends, for those 8,189. 8, it's a very staggering number. That, that is. I mean, we don't even think about it. You know? And uh, so that the numbers what we're seeing when we start thinking about those people who lost their lives due to the war is actually really understated when we see it in the media. You know, they usually say yeah. 2,500 or you know, that's the, uh, you know, the numbers they have a tendency to give. I, I have another staggering number for you if you're ready. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, nearly 38 million people have been displaced 
by the post-9-11 wars in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Libya, uh, Syria, Yemen, the Philippines, these places, Somalia, and these places have been displaced because of the rise of al-Qaeda. There are allies that have been, um, they've been making in other, other countries, and the Islamic State, ISIS, those type of things have dis- displaced 38 million, 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 38 million, million with the N. Yes. Wow. Um, I'll be completing my article on that one for the Chicago Crusader very okay. soon. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so those that's, numbers that's almost like and, a tenth of our population, <laughs> right, for the United States correct. population. Wow. Well, for uh, there's pretty much very staggering numbers when they also compare it to the pre-war population for Somalia, which is actually the highest, which is a huge surprise for me. Well, it's four uh, four point two million people that were displaced. But it's 46% of the pre-war population. Oh, wow. Yes. And I will, I will give out the disclosure on there. It includes people that were displaced within the country. So if they have to leave one side of the country to go to the other, that counts as displaced. About, for a majority of these, about half of these numbers have actually had to leave the country and um, become refugees. And there's a bunch of congressional bills that are out there specifically for the Afghan refugees. So um, that, that one will be definitely spoke of later. But, yes, there's a bunch of bills out there mostly to increase the limits that the U.S. has set on limiting, limiting the number of refugees into this country. Wow. Mm-hmm. A lot of veterans of mine, um, John Moses, a little shout out to you. Um, he uh, helped me out on a lot of uh, this look and this outlook on this because he served in Afghanistan and he was very concerned about the people that he had worked with for over a year on very dangerous missions. And that type of stuff is also on the, the mind of many veterans. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's that's amazing, yeah. So so we're getting uh, running out of time, but I I, I am so always enthralled, uh, Stephanie uh, Collada. When you come on, uh, you give us so much information that is really important. Uh, the veteran legislative voice is your, uh, you know, you founded it and created it, and it is uh, so needed. Uh, and to bring these uh, statistics up and to tell us what's going on. I just have to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, I'm looking for that uh, article. Once you publish it, you have to send it to Glenda and myself. I would love to read yep. it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I apologize for all this information sometimes. Oh, no. I, it was very, very timely. And um, it, it, it's a wake-up call. People need to know what's mm-hmm. happening. So that's what yeah. you're doing. She's a significant partner, and I thank you so much. She also writes an article for Chicago Crusaders that you can read every other week. Yes. Expressing the voices of our military population. So thank you, Stephanie. You're doing an excellent job. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Glenda. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit AmericasHG.org.